He'll tell you a little bit about that later. But we welcome you, Pastor Terry. God bless you as you come to minister the word of the Lord to us. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Larla. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad for the love of the family? Amen. Their flesh family is here today, and we thank them for that great effort. We all have roots that go back to Alabama, and uh, those, those are great moments, and it's just great to see them. But we also have family that is spirit, that is worldwide, and you are part of that family, and just what a great privilege and joy and thankful, wondrous blessing it is to be here with you this day. 30 years. Wow. And I know God is here because you still love one another. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. You know, I, I have not had opportunity to be here uh, very often, and that's a good thing. Because if I show up too often, that's a problem. And your pastors are fabulous, wonderful, anointed, and blessed leaders. Amen. <laughs> Pastor Calvin and Pastor Christie are people of character. They are people of integrity. They are people of righteousness. And they have led you uprightly, transparently, and according to the Word of God. And that's why I have not had to be here very often. Thank you. It is a wonderful, wonderful joy to be here today. And I'm so grateful to see all of you. The Lord is marvelous. He constantly guides us and constantly touches us in His Word and by His power. And we are so thankful for that. You know, as I started preparing after Pastor called me a few months ago, and, you know, I've been doing this over 20 years, so I have a few sermons about the church, but I just didn't feel a release or a, a joy over any of those sermons. And the Lord led me to... And I wonder why he would do this at Acts 2 Worship Center. But the Lord led me to Acts chapter 2. Some mysteries can only be known by God. But as I began to read that chapter with a new awareness of God's presence, I saw it in a different way. We all, and every theologian that's worth his theo, refers to the second chapter of Acts and the day of Pentecost as the record of the birth of the Christian church. And indeed, it was. God was transitioning from the old temple worship, where the blood of animals shed every year covered sin. He was transitioning from that to Jesus, 
being the Lamb of God, slain but once for all the sins of all the world. And his blood did not cover our sins. It cleansed us from our sins. In the first 20% of Acts chapter 2 has to do with the birth of that miraculous church. Then Peter's sermon, about 50% of the chapter in the middle, lays out the strategy for what God was planning for the church. And usually, we Pentecostals kind of draw it to a conclusion at the end of Peter's sermon. But there are a couple of paragraphs at the end of chapter 2 that give us God's heart for the way a healthy Christian church ought to continue. So the miraculous, awesome birth of the church at the beginning of the chapter and the awesome and miraculous continuation of a Christian church, a spirit-filled Christian church, is recorded by Luke at the end of the chapter. And I want to echo a couple of things that Pastor Calvin said. It is a joy to be here with so many of you. Uh, I've said the family, I've known that name. I was ordained in the Alabama district. It's been a while. I had black hair. Use your imagination. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it was shoulder length, okay? It was the early 70s, right? All right. Fu Manchu mustache, anybody remember those? I had sideburns that were long. As a matter of fact, I had to cut holes for my arms to go through my sideburns. They were so long. And I knew of the Lyrilla family and their faithful service to God and leadership in that great district and then met Calvin and Christy here when I was youth director, actually. And it was quickly obvious that God had a special ministry for them, and today is evidence of that. And Bill Ilniski, we worked together in Beirut, Lebanon, when we could get outdoors. <laughs> there have been about five or six civil wars since we were there, but we had the honor of being there for the first one. And uh, they did their best to shoot us, hallelujah. But God delivered us. And he has led our lives every day and every moment, and we are so grateful. These moments should not be moments for messages that just come out of the file. Because there is something unique, precious, and absolutely fabulous about what God does to start a church and what he does to continue a church in health and power. That makes these milestones all the more special. You should have found Acts chapter 2 by now in your Bible or on your iPhone or iPad or those other instruments that I can't get to work. But some of you are very comfortable with them. I'll be reading from the New International Version, and I'm just going to read beginning at verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. 
How does a church continue in God's will and God's health? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily who were being saved. Praise God. Father, I just ask that you help me with your Holy Spirit. Share in these next few minutes something that you've been dealing with me about for weeks. So Holy Spirit, I surrender now this presentation, this preaching, this proclamation to you. Touch the hearts where the need is. Celebrate with us the great record and birthday anniversary of this church. Continue to bless, I ask in Jesus' name. Thank you for doing it, Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. All right, let me take care of a little issue because church leaders and theologians have argued about the middle of this passage for decades. Some have said it's like a commune life where everybody just owns each other's possessions. Some, when I was starting out in ministry, even said this passage was communistic. And in the Cold War, you couldn't insult a passage with any greater statement than that. Neither of those is what Luke was talking about. Luke was saying that in a spirit-filled, healthy, living Christian life, we come to each other's aid when it is necessary. We have seen that several times in Peninsula, Florida. Three times in my superintendency, we've been devastated by killer hurricanes far beyond our ability to rebuild. But Christians and districts and churches across America have rallied to our need and money we did not have, construction supplies that we did not have, carpenters, electricians, cement workers, plumbers, and volunteers who didn't know a hammer from a hatchet. We did not have, but they came and they built for us. They repaired for us. They paid for us. We had their resources in common. Today in our fellowship, we have what we call the Convoy of Hope. The Convoy of Hope beats the U.S. government 
to a disaster site every time. As a matter of fact, <laughs> amen. I was in a panel truck packed with supplies and water and medicine uh, driving across I-10 to West Florida to Panama City. Two years ago, after that, hurricane blew in and devastated that entire area. We drove up to the district office, and the uh, FEMA agent was standing on the front porch of the district office. This is what he said. Where is Convoy of Hope going to set up? That's where we want to set up. It thrills my heart that the kingdom gets there first, amen, and that the world knows about it. That's what Luke was referring to. Scriptural evidence is abundant, but you'll remember that there was a horrible famine in Jerusalem about 25 years after the ascension and after the day of Pentecost. Many of the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem were literally starving to death. The newest church in Antioch heard of their need and took an offering and sent it by Barnabas back down to Jerusalem to, re, to relieve the need of the church there. Luke was saying, we all have our resources. He was not saying, put them into one checking account or one operational account. He was saying, when your brother or your sister has need, be generous with them. Buy them some chairs. Amen. Because they couldn't afford chairs. But you, led by the Holy Spirit, God bless you Susan, you made your resources common, unified to the church. So if there are any leftists in the building worried about communism, get over yourself. That is not what Luke was talking about. Anytime any of our churches have a need. And boy, have we been through a year. Remember March when they said if we would go inside and stay there for two weeks, this would all be over? They lied to us. We're still working this out. But there were churches that had needs. And because we had a reserve at the district we were able to commonly share with them. Let me tell you, Luke did not make a mistake. Some of the interpretations have been a little weird, along with a lot of other scriptures, Pastor Bill, <laughs> praise God. Uh, some, well, anyway, I won't go there. That's too strange. But the thing is that a healthy church will be a church that not only loves its brothers and sisters, but helps its brothers and sisters. Anytime a church has a need in our district, I know there are certain people I can call, and they will say, yes, Terry, we will give this amount or that amount, and to this day, I have not seen the children of our Father begging or hungry without relief. I want you to know today a healthy church is a church of unity. Not just when things are good, but also when things are needy. Because who should be first on the scene? It should be 
the brothers and sisters of the house of God. It should be those who love each other in the family. So a healthy church is a church that is unified. Uh, boy, you got that right up, didn't you? Praise the Lord. Of course, you know, with Pentecostals around, you need to get the offering secure as soon as possible. Hallelujah. Thank you for laughing, Susan. <laughs> Amen. You know, you gave this morning because you want people to hear the gospel around the world. And you want people to have the opportunity to know Jesus around the world. That's what Luke was talking about. The second sort of unintended factor here is that the church was born in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, if your church does not allow the movement of the Holy Spirit, there's something wrong with your spiritual help. This morning, God spoke to us through His Holy Spirit gift, and that empowers us as a real Christian church. And I'll tell you, I'll bet 30 years ago there were a few messages in tongues and there were a few problems because the devil hates a new church, but God loves a new church and he will supply for that church. So here we are, all these years later, three decades and the devil hasn't won yet. And, amen. He never will win. God will always win through the presence and power of his Holy Spirit. Powerful birth, generosity and loving help for one another are traits of a healthy Christian church. Let's go back to the very first verse that we read. Verse 42. And I want to quickly, everybody say quickly. Amen. I love the family. Praise the Lord. I'm the son, grandson, and great-great-grandson of preachers. And one of the things my grandfather taught me is when there's food in the foyer, don't try to preach long. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Is it a chicken dinner? <laughs> Hallelujah. How did I know? <laughs> it's the bird that saved the minister. And the ministers saved the ministry. Hallelujah. Never doubt a preacher's belt is nothing more than a leather fence around a chicken graveyard. That's all a preacher's belt. I'll give you a minute. <laughs> Amen. So I'm not going to preach long. Everybody say, thank you, Terry. As a matter of fact, I'm already about half through. Say, thank God. Oh, come on, you hypocrites. <laughs> I know you're hungry. Hallelujah. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The first thing we need to do is bring our existence into alignment with what God did when he transferred from the temple sacrificial system to redemption and salvation through the name and blood of Jesus Christ. Why did not Luke say, as was common 
in that time as was exclusive in time, why did not he say, and they taught the law of Moses? That was the scripture they had. And that's what they looked at. That's what they stood upon. But Luke said they continued in the apostles' teaching because the apostles had stopped preaching the law because Jesus had fulfilled the law. The law no longer had dominion over us as fallen human beings. The law and its judgment was not the rule of the church. The freedom of Jesus Christ had become the freedom of the church and the liberty of the saints. That was why they listened to the teachings of the apostles. The apostles were not saying, you're sinners, and once a year you've got to come to church and have a sacrifice. The apostles were saying, Jesus is with us today, and you can be in his presence right now. Hallelujah. I want you, amen. Praise the Lord. I want you to know that what we have, Moses wanted. <laughs> What we have, Abraham wanted a daily opportunity to walk with Jesus Christ. You get that vertical relationship correct and the rest of your church life will be healthy. You get that vertical relationship damaged or destroyed and the rest of your church will be sick. But I want you to know today, Jesus is with us. And we are still preaching the Apostles' Creed, the Apostles' Teaching, because we want you to know that you can have a personal, constant relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't come to this church to get into the presence of God, even though we enter His presence when we come here. We come here to report what we've experienced all week long in the presence of God. Hallelujah. The devil is busy all week. Amen. That's why the Holy Spirit is working all the time. He doesn't say, well, just wait for Sunday. Something good's going to happen. No. He will answer your call in a second. Answer your prayer in an eternal moment. Make that vertical relationship, that knowledge of Jesus constantly with us, sure and steadfast. Secondly, and fellowship. That's what we're about to do when we open up those asbestos containers. Hallelujah. We're going to enjoy fellowship. Well, as much as we can right now in this circumstance. After the power of your vertical relationship, you must have the unity of your horizontal relationship. I have a little nephew, Cole. He's my wife's youngest sister's little boy. And a few years ago, I was teaching him about praying especially at night, you know, the end of the day prayer just before you go to bed. And we prayed together and uh, we were visiting over at their house and we were going to leave after we put him to bed. 
And so I started to get up, and he grabbed my shirt, and he said, Uncle Terry, don't go. I said, Cole, I have to go. And anyway, we've prayed. Jesus is with you. He said, I know. Jesus is here in spirit, but I need somebody in presence. I need somebody that I can see that's here. Sometimes God uses our horizontal fellowship to affirm our vertical fellowship. Everyone in this room is valuable to every other one in this room. Hallelujah. When we were talking about responding to need just a few moments ago, the first call I always make is to God. I get on my knees or I get in my car. I've prayed a lot of powerful prayers looking down I-95 and across I-4 and up and down I-75. Oh, God, we've got to have help, and we've got to have it right now. Almost every time, names will start to come to my mind. And I know that's the Lord saying, call them. Because I not only need the blessings of eternity, I need some blessings of this time and of this place. I need some checks. I need some cash. I need something that only my horizontal fellowship can provide. This day, on your 30th anniversary, you are living proof that God still answers prayer. You are living proof that this church is healthy. You are living proof that God is still doing good. Why? Well, let's continue to read the verse. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. There are two ways we can interpret this phrase. Firstly, it is eating. It's kind of obvious, right? My dad used to say, never overlook the obvious. Don't get so far into the weeds that you forget what it says. The breaking of bread. But what was the last thing Jesus did with the apostles just a few hours before he was arrested? They were eating Middle Eastern style. There were vegetables and a little bit of hummus and tabbouleh all over the table. A little bit of meat maybe right in the middle, but each apostle had a little round pita loaf, pita bread. And Jesus held that up and he tore it. And he said, as often as you do this, remember me. For us, as often as we eat together or eat at all, we can be reminded that Jesus is with us. And sometimes I just stop there for a moment. I was taught to pray before the meal. If you were taught to pray in the middle or at the end, I have no uh, qualm with that. I have no argument with that. But the reason now... Yea, verily, these later years in life and ministry that I like to pray at the beginning of the meal is because of this very reminder. I open up the lid on that Zaxby's salad. Oh, joy. Or that 
Big Mac. But I take a minute, say, Jesus, I thank you for this food. But more than that, I thank you for the reminder of the promise that you are always with me. You are always here. Pastor Calvin mentioned my wife, my mate of 50 years. The Lord called her home. As a matter of fact, Tuesday is the 9th of February. She went to glory the 9th of February last year, first anniversary. So that's a little bit on my mind and on my heart. She had a long bout with cancer over a year. She actually died of kidney failure as a, re as a result of the chemotherapy. But about four months into her journey, the Lord spoke to her and said, I want you to take communion every morning. And until she was too weak to do it, we took communion first thing every morning. I slept in her hospital room. I stayed with her constantly. At the end, she was in the hospital for 18 days. She was stabilized. We went home for about a week, but then she collapsed again. And I had to get her back to the emergency room. And then eight days after that, she went to be with the Lord. Every morning, we broke that bread and said, Thank you, Jesus, that you are here. We need you. We want you. Thank you that you are here. Now, I'm not trying to pull your heartstrings. What I'm trying to communicate is that a healthy church in its communion process, always acknowledges the presence of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It's not just bread, and in our case, juice. It is always the presence of the Lord. I do not understand Christian churches that argue that there should be no living presence of God in our services. That is all symbolic and people who seek that are just emotional. Well, I don't think they've eaten with Jesus lately because if you eat with Jesus regularly, you know he's in this service. You know he's in this place. You know he's with you when you have a need. And they broke bread. They took communion. Now, I'm not going to get all dramatic and go down some drama road, but I can imagine that there was more than once when Peter and Mark and John picked up a piece of pita bread and tore it and broke into tears. You remember when he did that just before he was arrested? And they would all say yes. And what did he say to us when you eat? Remember me. Thank God he was here 30 years ago. But thank God more that he's here right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. I thank the Lord for the history. But I am so grateful for the moment. Now I've got to hurry. Say amen. I've already broken my promise to you, haven't I? I'm sorry. Prayer. The next phrase, the breaking of bread, 
and prayer. How many of you really love someone in your life? Of course. It's a joy to talk to them, right? Unless you're arguing, then that's another sermon. But it's just a joy to talk to them. Prayer, in its purest form, is conversation with God. He said, not only do I want you to remember that I'm in heaven and remember that I'm in your fellowship and remember that I told you to remember me, I want you to talk to me. I want you to have fresh conversation with me. And when we do that, beloved, the Holy Spirit makes His presence so precious to us. Did you enjoy the worship this morning? I did. The Holy Spirit is blowing, blowing, blowing. You ever been around a fresh wind? <laughs> Amen. You better be careful because it's powerful. It's got authority. It will help you get along. I want you to know today that conversation, that response of the Holy Spirit takes us to a place that blows us through our problems, blows us along our way, and blows us to victory in the name of Jesus Christ. Those things are the marks of healthy churches. Pastor mentioned we have 350 churches in our district. Some of them are not healthy. But I've seen God heal unhealthy churches. Was never through doctrine, even though we have a great doctrine. Was never through our bylaws and constitution, though we have great documents. It was not even through our practice. It was always through the Spirit. When God gets ready to keep something healthy or make something healthy, He uses His Holy Spirit. Got problems today? Invite the Holy Spirit into what you are facing and then listen to the wind. Hallelujah. The same wind of the upper room can, the, can be the wind of your inner heart and inner soul. That's what prayer is all about. It releases the vertical, the horizontal, and the fellowship into our healthy church. And the product of all of that is the very last sentence of this passage. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts 2 opens with a massive salvation experience. 3,000 added to the church at the end of Peter's sermon. A massive conversion experience. But we don't hear about them ever again through the rest of the book of Acts or through Paul's epistles or, Pete, or, or John's or Peter's two letters. No one refers to that crowd again. The reference is to those who were added to the church day by day, week by week, moving forward. We thank God for the revival explosions, but it's the steady, 
healthy increase of people added to the church that makes the long-term difference. That's why I celebrate you, one of the original ones still here. And if only the original ones were still here, be a small crowd. Amen. Aren't you glad for those that have been added along the way? I am. Every year at District Council, we ordain new ministers. And it's been said to me more than once, why are you ordaining new preachers? We got enough. No, we don't. Because the Lord is opening new doors. The Lord is opening new places. The Lord is opening new opportunity. And if we have to go back to 1929 when this district was founded and find somebody we can use, we are in big time trouble. But there's been a few since then. Hallelujah. Just before the ordination service, I always say to our ordinees, you are proof that God has a future for Peninsula, Florida. Even if it's just to be a newly ordained minister at the rapture, he has a plan for tomorrow. Folks, the final part of the plan for a healthy church is steady, regular growth. That is what the Lord wants in his churches. This day, you have affirmed your pastor and his dear wife. I want to join that affirmation because all of the things we have talked about in this discussion, they show in real life. And we ought to commemorate that and we ought to honor that at this moment. So Pastor Calvin and First Lady Christie, would you please come? Paparazzi. <laughs> I think they want Christie's picture. <laughs> the pretty one. Amen. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for sticking it out. Not every day has been as joyous as this day, but every day has been as victorious as this day because God never fails. Sometimes his servants don't last but God never fails. You have been faithful. You are lasting. And you stand at the entrance of a future that is powerful in the name of Jesus. So, in commemoration of this moment, and on behalf of the executives and presbyters and pastors and people of the Peninsula Florida District Council of the Assemblies of God, I offer you this token as a memento of our love and appreciation for you. Thank you for all you have done. And should Jesus tarry, may there be 30 years more of victory and advance in Jesus' name. God bless you.
Amen. Praise God. Pastor, I'll just hand this to you. Thank you, Brother Terry. Well, what a day. What a journey.